We turn to the Word of God, to the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning our reading at the 8th verse. Uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning our reading at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen. May God bless his word to our hearts this evening. Uh, We turn this evening to the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 8 to verse uh, 20, uh, that well-known account of the shepherds uh, tending to their flocks, in the evening when suddenly an angel appears uh, to them. And what we are celebrating this time of year is far more than just a sentimental story. That's how often it comes across in assemblies, various services, as these narratives are read, that here is a very moving, human, sentimental story. But uh, behind all of these various accounts, uh, what we have is an extraordinary event. Uh, What we read of in Scripture, great is the mystery of godliness. God manifest in the flesh. God up there who is here. And we thought this morning of Christ being eternally, fully, gloriously God and yet becoming truly man. And the mystery of that, there is none like him, none before him, none with him, none after him. He stands unparalleled. He is wonderful. His birth and life and ministry, death, resurrection, attended by wonders. Here is something miraculous, stupendous, awesome, glorious, Angels arrive suddenly, and heavenly armies of angels appear, caught up in worship and glory at what is about to take 
place. There's that hymn, isn't there? Holy angels stood confounded to behold their maker thus. And can we remain unmoved when we know it was all for us, all for us. And we see this angelic appearance and an arrival and announcement. So here is something extraordinary taking place. Unparalleled, unknown before, never to be known again. Now, having said that, what's striking when you read the narratives, this extraordinary event involves, in the main, what are ordinary people. There are the wise men, of course. But also you have this village priest, this very humble, lowly, unassuming village priest by the name of Zacharias. And Luke begins his account with him and with the father of John the Baptist, preparing the way for one that is to come. And then also you've got Joseph and Mary, an assuming young, ordinary, when they come to dedicate their son, it will be with the offering of the poor, the poorest. Um, Nobody is really And uh, how remarkable is that? And when we come to what we have here with the actual shepherds, um, you know, we need to get out of our mind that romantic idea of shepherding. Shepherds, uh, they they were dirty, they were smelly, they were untrustworthy, weren't allowed to bear witness in court. Uh, They were the lowest of the low shepherds. And the wonderful thing is the account here in incredible detail, the space that is given by way of the announcement of Christ and his coming to the shepherds. Now, what does all of that tell us? Well, it tells at the very beginning that what is about to take place is for all. That's the wonderful thing about the the gospel message. It is something free. Uh, It is God's riches at Christ's expense what God would freely give to us in Jesus. And that's part of the glory of the, of the gospel message. We don't have to contribute at all or bring anything at all. And nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Come empty. Because it is free. But more than that, it's not just free. It is for all. The whosoever will let him come. The whosoever And we see that not just with our Lord's birth, but throughout his ministry. It was the dregs of human society. He had time for them and care with them and touched them and handled them, entered into their misery and wretchedness. These outcasts of society, our Lord had love and thought, compassion uh, with them, was moved towards them. Uh, He is a God of the ordinary. I once read that uh, we see so many people who are nobodies struggling to be somebodies. See that on TV, don't we? TV personality. But nobodies. And uh, ordinary people. A gospel that is for all. A gospel for you this evening. How incredible a thing is that? Here is something that concerns you this evening This momentous time of the year that we celebrate, we commemorate. This extraordinary event that took place. 
concerns you as a very ordinary person this evening. But when we look at this narrative here, we see much here that we associate with Christmas. And to begin with, first of all, we see here in verse 8 and 9, the very first Christmas light. Very first Christmas light. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Now, I'm sure you've noticed, like I have, there's been something of a mania these years by way of lights and lighting up the front of people's houses. On our road, you know, the lights are along the gutters, they're down the downpipes. Uh, lights are on every shrubbery you can think of in the garden, every tree, every bush. And here's the wheelie bin all lit up. And uh, when I'm in my study upstairs and looking at my front window down, you can see, you can just, well, you could be thinking you're in Blackpool Illuminations and looked on our road. And uh, all you want to see really is a tram coming up, all lit up with Fleetwood on the front of it. Lights, lights play such an important part by way of Christmas. But here we have the very, very first Christmas light. And it is the light of the glory of the Lord that shone an outburst upon them, lit up the darkened sky. It is the light of the glory of, of the Lord. Now, in a sense, how appropriate is that? We read in uh, 1 John that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. And in Ecclesiastes, we read that light is, it is pleasant. Light, it gladdens the heart. It lifts our spirit. We know what that is like on a sunny day when the light is out, the sun is shining. It does, there's something within us that responds to, to the, to the light. It is gladdening and uplifting. The light is like that. And our God is a God of resplendent glory. He is a God of majestic holiness. A God of glorious beauty. In him is no darkness. There's nothing sinister in God at all. When you turn to the word of God, you know where you are with God. Know where you are with him. There's nothing vague uh, here with God. Everything's black and white. This is wrong. That is right. And here you are wrong in your sins. What on earth can you do? But God has done something that is clear, demonstrative, Here is something plain. Here is something concrete. Here is something historic that is worked up by way of historic events. And that's what sets apart Christianity from every other religion. It's not grounded in abstract thought or mere custom and behavior. It is grounded on historic events that once at the end of the age, I mentioned this morning, we read in scripture, he appeared. He is sure. The Lord of heaven and glory, he is here on earth. Why? To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. God is light. Now we read in scripture that there is a darkness in the human heart and the human spirit. A darkness. Uh, We are alienated from the life and the beauty and the glory of God. And that's where we are by way of our sins. We read, once we were darkness, that is where we were. And that's where the gospel found us. And Wesley says that, you know, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Nature's night. 
That's where I was. And all of a sudden, what the, the dungeon burst forth and the glorious ray shone. I walked the dungeon flamed with light. That's what happens with a believer. We once were darkness, now we are light in in the Lord. We have been translated, taken over from what was a realm, a kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of God's dear Son. If you know anything of history, you'll know there was a period, there was a time, referred to as the Dark Ages. And what was characteristic of the Dark Ages? It was a time of poverty and squalor. It was a time of superstition and ignorance. It was a time of oppression and fear and dread. These were the dark, dark ages. But for a believer, there was a time when he was in in darkness. But what do we read regarding Christ? He is the light of the world. I am the light of the world. We read that he is the day spring from on high. He is the fount of of a new dawn and a new light, a new era, characterized by light. He is the bright, he's the morning star. Uh, he is risen, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness. And so what do we read of Jesus? He has brought life and immortality to light by the gospel. In other words, through Jesus, his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, the momentous issues of eternal life, immortality, they are now clear, they are transparent, they are plain as day for anybody with eyes to see how glorious is this gospel. Men and women are scuttling in the darkness. You know what it's like where you lift a log and these creatures go scuttling for the undergrowth and cover and they... They hide from the light. And it is like that. Men and women in their sins, they are hiding. I remember God with Adam. Adam, where are you? Where are you? And what is Adam's response to that? I was afraid and I hid myself. Hid myself. And a step in becoming a believer is stepping out of the darkness into, into the light of openness and transparency and acknowledgement of our sin and of an understanding and embracing of all that is now ours in Jesus, given to us freely by God. And it's like a, a light switch going on. That's what happens. And so we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 about how the God of this world, the devil, Satan, the God of this world, how he has blinded the minds of those that do not believe, lest they come to what the glorious light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. Here in Jesus, there is this resplendent, wonderful gospel, but how Satan keeps men and women in, in darkness and uncertainty, where all is unresolved and there's no certainty at all in terms of where they are with God and where they are in terms of eternity and regarding their souls. But then as you go on in that chapter in Corinthians, we read of something quite incredible. We read this, But God who said, Let the light shine out of the darkness. It's the dawn of creation. Let the light shine out of darkness. 
he has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? For a believer, you are enlightened. You are enlightened. Never mind about the lights and the guttering and the downpipes and everything else and all the shrubbery. There's a light in here where you now can see and you understand. When I was ministering in Tembe on a Thursday morning in the summer, summer months, we were doing outreach work in the open-air market in New Hedges and uh, they'd set aside an area for myself. I'd go down about six in the morning with the old camper van and uh, put four gazebos up in front of them, tie them all down, weigh them down, and then put Christian literature. We used to have from Albert, remember Albert, in the Christian bookshop in, in the market in Carmarthen? Well, we would do sale and return with him. And, um, and so we'd put all these things out for children and people on holiday and everything to read. And then I'd have paintings on the other side to pay for costs of the stall and costs like that. And then we'd do teas and coffees for people. And, and uh, this particular day, it was absolutely torrential. And um, in fact, I think I was the only store left in the field. And then all of a sudden, a man came in, drenched. And I said, sit down and we'll have a cup of coffee. So we got chatting and he brought out an art set that he had bought that morning in the car boot. And he was showing me it. And I said, I tell you what, if I started an art group this autumn for the winter, would you come along? Oh, I'll come, he said. Well, he not only came, he brought his wife, he brought his neighbours. Then others came, and we could be 20 to 30 on a Friday morning. And um, where I would do an art demonstration, lead into a gospel message. And then after coffee, we'd take them through steps of doing the painting. And then at times in the year, we'd have an art exhibition where they could bring their families along to see their work. And wonderful opportunities, really. You don't look for these things. Sometimes they're just given to you. But what was quite incredible was this. A lady turned up who was from a Greek Orthodox background. Dear soul. And um, she asked, could she come on a Sunday evening? And she came. And then she asked, could she come to a midweek meeting? So she started to come. And bear in mind, her background is one of icons and incense, altars, candles, uh, all the paraphernalia you can imagine. Vestments and everything. And then one Sunday night she said to Gwyneth, do you know now I can see salvation. I can see salvation. See, it was there all along. It was there in the scriptures that she would have known from a child. And then through the different times of the year, from Christmas to Easter, it would have been there all along. And her years would have heard of it and heard of it, but now all of a sudden... She could see it. It wasn't anything that I do or could ever hope to do. But it was what Christ has done alone. Trusting in him alone. Let me ask you this evening. Can you see it? How have you seen it? Has that light gone on? Where it's not something you hear of. But something you know and you have grasped. It has made a difference in here. It radiates from within. 
The light has gone on. It is the light of the glory of the Lord that has shone upon your heart. Now also what we see here associated with Christmas is not just the first Christmas light, but also the first Christmas greeting. Uh, We read in verse 10, But the angel said unto them, We read they were terrified, But the angel said unto them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you or for you, and he is Christ the Lord. So here is the very first Christmas greeting. Now we know what it is. We send our emails and uh, we text, but there's nothing quite like that personalised Christmas card and Christmas greeting where we express our desire that people would have a blessed Christmas and so on. And a year or two ago, I was in a, visiting a residential home and uh, the children in the school nearby had all personalised a card and they had drawn, they had coloured, they had written and it was for residents in this residential home. And how precious that was. Here was something of which much thought and care Creativity had gone into, and it was all personalized for them. And what we have here is a greeting from God via angels to rebellious men and women that there is no longer cause for fear. No longer cause for fear. And of course, we know that fear runs very, very deep within us. It is there within us, ingrained within us. There's the fear of the dark and the fear of the unknown. There's the fear of what others think. There's the fear of financial straits. And there's the fear of growing old, the fear of getting ill, the fear of facing death, the fear regarding our children. There, there are countless fears that we have. And yet we are told here there is no real deep-seated cause for fear. I mentioned Adam. And what was the very first fear we read of in the Bible? I was afraid. I hid myself. It was a fear of God and a reckoning with God and that dread of having to give account. And deep-seated within us, there's a sense of deity. There's a sense of immortality. There's a sense of accountability. These are all features that are a part of our being. They're written deep within us. And nothing will ever eradicate those. And yet we are told there is no real cause for fear. Bertrand Russell, who did perhaps more than anybody to shape uh, modern thought uh, by way of uh, a disregard of God and the things of God, lived a despicable life and really you need a strong stomach to read his life and particularly the way he died. But um, in giving an account of why he had no time for religion, he said, I have no time because fear is at the basis of the whole thing. Fear. He obviously knew very little of the gospel. Very little of the gospel. 
because the beginnings here are this. There is no cause for fear. It's quite the opposite of being grounded in fear. Rather than being fearful, what we are told that they are to be joyful. It's not just, now, now, don't be afraid. It's not that God is saying, rather than being fearful, something is about to take place that ought to thrill your hearts and make you truly joyful. And what is that? Because what a child is born for you, there's someone coming. And for you is to be a saviour, to save you from your sins and the ramifications of all your sins. And he is Christ, he is the anointed one, the one promised through the ages, sent, commissioned by God the Father to do his will. And you could say, I've come not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And here he is fulfilling the Father's will, born to die in our place for our sins. And so what we have here in the gospel, worked out later in John's letter, is that it is the sense of being loved by God, the extent to which being favoured by God, and that term is used later, it is this that eradicates all fear. To know that we are truly loved by God. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But behind, behind the life that God offers is the love that God has. We were singing a hymn in a church where we worship in Kerfilly. And uh, I guess I've got time, I should explain. When we came back from Tembe, we didn't know where we were going to worship. We thought, where will we go? Easy to have gone down to the Heath. We know people in the Heath, they've been lovely, we're welcome, that would have been great. But I said to Gwyn, we need to worship in Calvilly if we can. And uh, we tried everywhere. But then, on the road down to our house, uh, on the left, there's an uh, enormous great graveyard, a council graveyard, and there's a chapel arrest. And there were a group of people who were worshipping there. And outside it had free Pentecostal. Well, I know what a Pentecostal is. But what is a free Pentecostal? And we went in. And all it is, they came out of Elim 30 years ago. So they're independent. That's all it meant. And when we felt so much at home, old school, no time for nonsense, Anything charismatic, but just solid in the word. And doctrines of grace. Doctrines of grace. We felt so much at home. Bonded with the pastor. We become dear friends. We exchange our reading. Rich, rich fellowship. And I thought of those words of Ryle. Where Jesse Ryle said, We ought to keep our denominational labels. We need to keep them like our fences low enough we can shake hands over them. Or better with Wesley, isn't it? Names, sects, parties, fall. Thou, O Christ, are all in all. And so we've been richly blessed that we have this lovely, sweet fellowship on our doorstep as the Lord's, as the Lord's people. But the other, the other morning we were singing a hymn by Horatius Bonner. And these words arrested me. Where Bonner is looking to Calvary and the cross. All the love of God lies yonder. 
love beyond all thought and wonder. Perfect love that casts out fear. Lovely, isn't it? Those are words. I had to go home and just memorize them and savor them. All the love of God lies yonder in the cross. The love of God beyond all wonder. The love, perfect love of God that casts out fear. And what's being said here, there is no need now to fear. Rather being fearful, you can now be joyful in this glorious gospel of good news, sins forgiven, new relationship with God, heaven in all its glory, our home, and where we rightly now belong. And here's the first Christmas message. Let me ask you this evening. Have you heard that? Really heard that? As a word from the God of heaven, by way of angels, to you, that rather than being fearful, you can enter a relationship with God that is joyful. Where Paul can say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. And the believer's joy is out of himself or herself. And it is in the Lord. Paul could say, in me and my flesh dwells no good thing. How can you ever hope to feel good delving somewhere where we read there is no good? You can only really feel good looking unto Jesus when he is your all in all. And he is your all sufficiency looking into Jesus. So we have here not just the only first Christmas light and the first Christmas greeting, but thirdly, lastly, we have the very first Christmas carol in verse 13 and 14. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host of the heavenly armies of heaven appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. Outburst of prayers, angelic prayers. But we have God's glory. All that God is about to reveal of the glory of his being, his attributes, his perfections, in all that he will accomplish in Jesus. What oh, that justice inflexible. You know, that, that, uh, Grace inexplicable that when you think of that, that wisdom, an erring infinite, devising a way where God can punish sin, pardon sinners. Here is one that will come. And we, we sing, don't we, angels leave their higher board to learn new wonders. I love that. To learn new wonders here. Until the wonders of a condescending God, the glories of Emmanuel. Angels leave what is their higher board to learn new wonders here. Do you know that wonder? That wonder of Jesus. Glory of Jesus. Outburst of song. We had a character in the church in Kedek who we were brought up, a bit of a stickler, who said, uh, We never read in scripture of angels singing. 
You've got no right to say they sang. Well, if you get up early in the morning and you hear the dawn chorus, and God ordained, that's how the day will begin, in song. And God has put song in our hearts. I cannot imagine angels with that expressible feeling of wonder, glory in God, not actually singing. But there's an outburst of praise and glory here by way of God. And you know what's incredible here is this on earth, peace, goodwill toward man. Who's announcing this? The armies of heaven, the hosts of heaven. They are announcing peace on earth. Not, not among men, never peace among men, toward goodwill toward men. Here is God inclined towards sinful men and, and women. And here is the wonder, here is the peace that is ours in Jesus, that we see a God who ought to be resolutely against us. We are sinners in thought and mind and heart and, and, and life. It is interwoven into the fabric of our very being. God cannot tolerate sin. Remember a reading of the Puritan once, Thomas Brooks, where he tried to express the enormity of sin that it denies God's existence. You've got no place in my life, no place in my thought, no place in my plans. You do not exist. And sin begins there, denies God's very existence, disregards God's very word, disregards it, dismisses the very word of God. Sin that disparages God's goodness and mercy, overtures of grace, goodness that ought to lead us to repentance. Sin that dares God's justice, stands up to dare the very justice of God. There isn't anything more grotesque in God's moral universe than sin. Nothing more grotesque. It is contrary to all that God is in the glory and beauty of his perfections. Sin is ugly, grotesque, destructive, creates pandemonium, havoc, mayhem, misery, wretchedness, shame, disgrace, destroys. That's sin in its very essence. Contrary to all that God is in his resplendent being. And this God who ought to be against you as a sinner is with you, with us. That's the glory of Emmanuel. The God of heaven that ought to be against us is here with us. Identifying himself with us. More than that, is actually for us. For our good our eternal well-being. And here's the wonder of all wonders. He is instead of us. On the cross. Instead of us. In our place. 
bearing our sins. The enormity of all that the law demanded to be exacted upon us as sinners. The Son of God weathered it all. That's the incredible thing that we celebrate at this time of year. God isn't distant, removed, remote, far from that. A God who is very much here. A God reaching into men and women's lives. Wanted to bring them back to himself, be right with himself. And what do we find here at the last with these shepherds? Let's go. Let's go and see this thing that has been told us. Do you see it? Has it been a discovery for you? You might well have been told. How many times you've been told? Over and over again you've been told. Every Sunday, every service, every sermon you have been told. But have you ever come to that point where you say to yourself, come now, let's go, let's go see this thing. Let's go find this thing. I want to know this thing personally. And you know what happens? Their subsequent life, and you, as you read the account, becomes one of wonder, one of witness, one of worship, and it's all spontaneous. They have found something wonderful, too wonderful to keep to themselves. Last week, Gwyneth and I were in a hotel up in Llandidno on holiday. And during the evening meals, I had one man share with me his love of fly fishing. And then the shooting range, and then archery, then photography. I had another man then share with me his love of children's books. And now he's got a room in the house full of children's books. If you want to know anything about Rupert Bear, come and ask me. I feel like I'm an authority now on Rupert Bear. And then another man pulled out his phone, mobile phone, reached over the table, got things he wants, and the enthusiasm, he's got things he wants to share with me. Now, normally, when somebody passes you their mobile, it's a photograph of the wife, or children, or grandchildren. But for this man, it was his motorbikes. Lo and behold, here was a photograph of him and his wife when they got married, but then it was back to the motorbikes. You see, when people have a passion, they're not backward at coming forward when they've got a passion. And sadly for us as believers... We are all too ready to talk about anything and everything from the weather to politics to energy than the gospel and what Jesus means to us. An effective witness does not begin with more thorough Bible study or being up more on Christian doctrine or being able to argue a case, win an argument. Effective Christian witness begins with a sense of wonder. 
of what one has found in Christ and the sheer glory of that. And that's effective witness. And I thank God we are not called to be prosecuting attorneys. We are called to be witnesses. Just to simply state what we know we have found and we have experienced in the gospel. And as we come to the wonder of this season of the year, let us seek to have that rekindled, the real wonder of Christ and all that he is to us and opportunities that this time of the year brings out of the pulpit, in a supermarket, at a bus stop, with a neighbour, just simply sharing all that Jesus means, means to us. We read unto them who believe, he is precious. More precious than fly fishing, and more precious than archery, and more precious than the shooting range. And more precious than children's books or any collectible you can think of. Motorbikes and motorcars. We have something truly wonderful. Truly wonderful. Oh Lord our God, our Heavenly Father, we praise you for this time of year and the uh, focusing of our minds, centering of our hearts afresh on Jesus as the inexpressible gift that you have given to us and all that is ours in him. And, O oh Lord, increase instill in us a greater sense of the wonder of Jesus as we go out into this darkened world, facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease, we who rejoice to know thee. Renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. We bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message ours, fired by the same ambition to thee, where yield our powers. Oh, Lord, be pleased to bless us, work in and through us, to the praise of the glory of your grace. Amen.